We're pointing our attention towards Easter now. And so over these next three weeks, we're going to uh, look at three passages out of Luke 18. So if you've got a Bible, there's your clue to turn to Luke 18. Uh, about how we should position ourselves uh, to be ready uh, to, to look at what does it mean uh, to have faith? What does it mean uh, to live a life of humility? What does it mean to prepare ourselves for this death, burial, and resurrection event uh, that happened 2,000 plus years ago? And so these next three weeks, we're going to look at how we, as a people, need to prepare ourselves uh, for that. So if you've got your Bible uh, open there to Luke 18, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 9 uh, all the way uh, through verse 14, a parable uh, that Jesus told. So here's what it says in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And then Jesus turned his attention to another guy there. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This scene that Jesus portrays here in this parable, a story, a made-up story that Jesus tells that has very significant spiritual truth. It's a parable to demonstrate to his listeners, many of whom sort of believed too highly in themselves, that they thought too much of themselves. They thought they were better than they really were, and they looked at others and said, oh, you're worse than you really are. I know none of you have ever done that. I know I haven't. I've never exalted myself above someone else. Thank you for the two people that are paying attention this morning. <laughs> And so as, as you think about that, that's the scene here that Jesus is telling this story. There's one guy who, who trusts in himself and himself alone, and he looks at this other guy and a bunch of others and says, oh, thank you, God, I'm not like them. Thank you, Lord, I'm not like them. And so we have this tale of two worlds where we have this religious leader and a tax collector, an enemy of the people. That's what we have, this religious self-righteous, do-gooder, and a thief. A guy who takes everyone's money, a traitor. And Jesus tells us how they pray. And so we have the Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious leader in the ancient world. He, he was a Jewish man who believed in the law and who did everything he could to follow the law perfectly. 
And, and they, Pharisees get a bad rap in the New Testament uh, because they're so legalistic, so law-driven, they forget about love and grace and mercy and all those things. But the truth is, these guys were devoted to their faith in a way that you and I probably will find it hard to measure up to. That They were committed beyond committed to their faith. They, they wanted to live the law perfectly. They wanted to follow what God had said in the Old Testament. Every T crossed, every I dotted which is to be commended because most of us are, oh, I'm good enough. Like we're good enough people. And so sometimes we look at these Pharisees like, oh man, they're so bad. What happened is they forgot, they forgot who they were. They were imperfect humans. And they began to trust in themselves. And so here he comes, trusting in himself and he comes to the time of prayer. And he, in his mind, is going above and beyond. And the truth is, he did go above and beyond what the law said. He did even greater things than what the law required at the time. And so he comes to prayer time, one of four times that he prayed that day in the temple. Four times a day he prayed. That should tell us something. That should challenge us in some way. That here's a man so devoted to his faith that he comes and prays four times a day. And so he takes his position in the center of the courtyard and stands there. The standing is not the problem because that was the posture of prayer in that ancient world in that context. The issue is he's in the center of the courtyard so that everyone can see him and, oh, by the way, he can see everyone else. And we know that based on his list of people that he calls out that he's paying attention to everyone else who's there. And so he declares this great prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. God, I thank you. That part of the prayer is perfect. The rest of it is not so much. So if you and I go to God with thanksgiving, that's wonderful. We should. God, thank you. Just remember the rest of what you pray matters because the rest of what he prayed mattered too. God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people. Thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people. Now, the rest of these people are bad people. I mean, really bad. The unjust, extortioners. You know, those are bullies, the extortioners. Adulterers, and even this tax collector. I, I don't know if he points out the tax collector or not, but even this tax collector like, can you imagine praying here, standing up, Lord, thank you. I'm not even going to point because I don't want any of you. <laughs> thank you that I'm not like, hmm. Like, that's what he does. I know we're too holy for those kinds of things. But he's thankful that he's not like these people because he's above and beyond kind of God follower. He's above and beyond kind of man. Because what does he do? He fasts twice instead of once, which is what the law suggests it allows. He fasts twice. He gives 
a tenth of all that he has, including from his herb garden, which is not even a requirement. So again, Lord, I'm giving you a tenth of everything, even if you don't want it or need it. I'm going to give it to you anyway, because I'm that good. You ever been that good? No, you haven't. (laughs) Neither has he. Neither have I. And here's the struggle here. The struggle with this prayer is the first, the first part is accurate. God, thank you. The rest of the prayer is actually all true. It's a truthful prayer. He's not like the unjust. He's not like the extortioner. He's not like an adulterer. He's not like a tax collector. And, oh, by the way, he does fast twice a week. He does give 10% of all that he has. All of what he said is true in his prayer. The problem is, he's thanking God for all the things that he's done. All the things that he thinks he's accomplished. And so his prayer goes wrong in that way. Thank you, God, that I've achieved greater righteousness than the law. Thank you, Lord, that I'm the best. Like, who praised that? Well, this guy did in the story. Thank you that I'm greater than these around me. And, and what I see is this is a prayer of satisfaction. Lord, thank you that I'm satisfied with my life the way I lead it. Thank you, God, that I'm that wonderful. It's not a prayer of humility and grace and thankfulness. It's a prayer of satisfaction. It's, it's almost like those times, you've been there where, you, where you've, you've done something great and nobody sees it. It makes you mad, doesn't it? Like, I, I want somebody to see it. Like, you know, your guys or girls, you're practicing in your backyard. You, you know, throw it up from half court and it goes in. Like, did anybody see that? Is the mailman at least driving by? Someone to celebrate me? That's what this prayer is, a prayer of, celebrate me, Lord. Celebrate me. Most of us, it's the opposite, right? We do something wrong. Uh, We break a dish. We knock something over at the grocery store. Not me. But here's the guy who wanted everyone to see his greatness, his self-proclaimed greatness. He missed the point of his relationship with God, and more importantly, he missed, his, he missed the boat in relationship with others. He prays a prayer of self-righteousness, a prayer of self-satisfaction, and he misses the humility of coming before a holy and mighty God. But on the other hand, there's this tax collector whose sin was obvious to him, He knew he was full of sin. If he didn't know it, the the Pharisee pointed it out to him. That's how much he knew he was a sinner, that other people pointed his sin out to him. Because tax collectors were the scum of the earth in that day. That they were thieves, they, they always had their hand in your pocket, uh, they, they would tax and tax and tax because they got to keep a portion of it. They were traitors because the Jewish people thought they had sold their soul to Rome. And so here's this guy who's well aware of all of his faults. 
He's wealthy. He's powerful. But he's broken. Perhaps he is a metaphor for one of the sinners, one of the tax collectors that Jesus had dinner with throughout his ministry. And that tax collector who reclined at the table with Jesus over dinner one night began to hear the words that Jesus spoke about life, about forgiveness, about grace, about eternity. And those words began to sink in and he knew that he couldn't get those things on his own and he needed a savior. And so he put his trust in Jesus. Perhaps he's a metaphor for one of those guys, maybe even a metaphor for our own tax collector of the 12, Matthew. And so here he is. He knows it's the time for prayer and he gets caught up in the rush to go to the temple, go up to the temple. That's why it says when he goes down to his house, go up to the temple. But he knows that the center of the courtyard is not a place for him. And so he stands behind the column in the shadows in the back because he recognizes his sin. He's not sure he's even worthy to be there. And all he can do is keep his head down behind the column in the shadow, pounding his chest with a simple prayer of remorse, of humiliation. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's discouraged, he's frustrated. He knows he's not worthy. And so he offers the only prayer that he knows how to rest in God's mercy. There's some scholars that believe that article there, a sinner, should actually be the sinner, that he proclaimed himself, God, have mercy, be merciful to me, the sinner. That I'm the head of the class when it comes to sinners. I'm the leader. So God, have mercy on me. He pleads with God in this very simple, short prayer that God would remove his anger from him. That phrase merciful, we get our word propitiation, which is a giant word, which means to take the wrath of God away. Jesus is called our propitiation. He is the one who took the wrath of God upon himself so that we would not experience God's wrath. He took the punishment of all sin, your sin, my sin. He took that punishment, that wrath of God upon himself so that we wouldn't have to experience that. And that's the prayer that this man offers. God, remove your wrath from me, a sinner. It's the only hope I have is your mercy. The only hope I have is you. He humbly rests in God's mercy. And I wonder how often you and I approach prayer like the tax collector. I wonder how often we approach prayer or we don't approach prayer because we think we need to be like the Pharisee. 
that we need to have the eloquent words, that we need to be able to stand in a, in a right place and look how good I am, God. I, I'm worthy to come to you. And so thank you, God. And we, we look at others who pray and we think, well, I could never pray like that. Well, thank goodness, because you're not them. Our prayer should be a simple prayer like the tax collector who had nothing to offer God. He had only something to receive, the mercy of God. And so I want to share with you just two lessons uh, for us to take away with today as we think about heading toward Easter, as we think about the cross the death of Christ, the burial, and the resurrection. How do we come to these moments? How do we live this life? We live with humility. And so let me remind you today, what you say to God about your sin says a lot about your relationship with him. What you say to God about your sin, not your neighbor's sin, not your mom and dad's sin, not your sibling's sin, not your coworker's sin, your sin. What you say to God about your sin says a lot about your relationship with him. Jesus shows us this Pharisee, he had a relationship of righteousness only with himself. He was self-righteous because he proclaimed how great he was. And yet, the tax collector knew he had nothing to offer and so as you and I think about our own prayer life, are, are we, do, do we get caught up sometimes in only listing the good things in life, o only thanking God for how he's blessed us and, and how great things are and how wonderful it is, or, or do we pray and ask him or justify before him our sin and our mistakes and our failures? Do we justify those because we're looking around at others? Do we pray eloquently in these moments as we're gathered with the people of God, but our lifestyle out there is very different? We act one way in here and a very different way elsewhere. I want to encourage us not to just look good, because we all do that pretty well. Not to exalt ourselves, but to humble ourselves. Because when you and I look good before others, people exalt you. And that's what the people of Israel did. They looked at the Pharisees and said, wow, they're perfect. They're perfect. But the Pharisee had little to no relationship with the Heavenly Father. He was consumed with himself. He honored himself, and so God would humble him. And eventually, everyone sees through us when we put on a good show. And so what you and I say about our own sin, our own frailty, our own humanity to God really matters. And so I want to encourage you to go humbly before our God. So lesson number one is be honest about your sin with God. Be honest with him. Call on his mercy and grace. Trust in the fact that, that Jesus Christ died for you and that his blood covers your sin and so you can go humbly but boldly to him and say, Lord, I've blown it. I, I've messed up big time. 
Or Lord, you know what? I didn't mess up big time, but I messed up little time and that's still not good. Go to him because that means you are in a healthy spot with your heavenly father. That you're willing to go to him, no excuses, no pretense, no arrogance, and simply say, Lord, I trust that if I confess my sin to you, you're going to forgive me of that sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And so pour into your relationship with him, trust in his mercy. And the second lesson is a pretty obvious one. When we compare ourselves to God rather than others, we realize our need for mercy. And I want to thank uh, Matt Parker for helping me with this point because I had like a 12-page thing that I wanted to put up on the screen, um, and he helped me get it down uh, to one sentence. When we compare ourselves to God rather than others, we realize our need for mercy. I've never seen anyone in this family of faith stand in the center of the courtyard and pray and thank God that he or she is not like the rest of us. I'm grateful for that, number one. Because I know that none of us would do that. Because we're too smart for that. But how often in our home, in our car, in our place of business, in our school setting, among our family, do we make people our standard? People are the standard. And I can guarantee you that if I meet enough people, I can find at least one that I'm better than. And so can you. We can find at least one person that's, not a, that's worse than we are. Probably several, just like the Pharisee did. But if people are your standard, you never need mercy. If people are your standard, you never need forgiveness. If people are your standard, you never need the grace of God. If people are your standard, you don't need anything. Because you can always find someone who you're better than. But if God is your standard, you always need mercy. And so let me call you today, church, to rest in the mercy of God. As one rabbi said it, he said, when you pray, realize before whom you stand. The Pharisee forgot that. The tax collector knew it. May we not forget it. And as we move toward Easter, I want us to position ourselves in a posture of humility, an attitude of surrender, that you and I would have a heart of faith so that we may exalt Jesus, the name above every name, that we may humble ourselves before him and celebrate his good and finished work on the cross, knowing that we need his mercy. And so may we be people of humble faith. And when that happens, he will be the one to exalt us in his time and in his way, and it won't look like the world's exaltation. And so may we be a people of humility, not focused on our performance, but focused on his finished work. May we trust in that and that alone and humbly thank him for his great mercy.
Will you pray with me?